Good morning. How we doing? As you can have probably already noticed, I am not Pastor Eddie. Um, and there are some pros and cons to that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Pastor Eddie is in Perry, and he is blessing a church in Perry uh, with his gift of teaching this morning. Uh, it's actually a church that we partner with, and we kind of just do some uh, sermon planning together with and walk alongside them, and they walk alongside us with some things they do. And so Pastor Eddie is over there um, at that church cornerstone this morning. So that means that you have me. Who is me? My name is AJ Stevens, and I'm our next-gen pastor here at The Orchard. So if we haven't formally been introduced to each other yet, um, I'd love to bump your elbow after the service, um, but maybe that's about it in light of recent events. Um, but I would love to get to know you. If you want to come up uh, and shake hands or whatever after the service, I would love to do that. I would love to get to know you. Um, this week, we are continuing our series called Forward, and we've been in this series for the last three, this is the third week now, and this series is entirely about uh, you, you as Christians and the local church moving forward. And it's really cool because you get to read in this book of Acts, and that's what we're in, and you get to see the story of Christianity unfold to the point um, of today, right? Like if, if when I read this story, um, I just get encouraged because if none of that happens, none of this happens. And so I was talking to uh, somebody in between services, and he was like, man, I just... I love the book of Acts, and I love it because it's so exciting to see all the people that have gone before us. And I was like, man, I used to think it was really lame. And I used to be like, man, this is like, why don't we just skip ahead to the good stuff when the church was already happening? Because this stuff gets confusing and all that. And, and as I started to mature and read the book of Acts, I started to realize, man, this is foundational stuff. This is the stuff that matters. Without the book of Acts, um, we really don't get to see why we are what we are, why we are who we are. And so it's really been cool to go through the last couple of weeks and just kind of start um, talking about the foundation um, for us as Christians. One of the things Eddie said in our first service um, was if you get asked as a member of the orchard, hey, how old is your church? You should tell them about 2,000 years. Because these same people had the same mission that we have today when they gathered as believers. And so it's cool to see this story continued here in 2020. Um, and really cool to see our role in this story in 2020 based on the things that we know from some of the people that went before. So I'm really excited to get into it. Um, there's some practical stuff, but there's also a lot of text today. So bear with me as we read through some of that. Um, but it'll be really good. I'm really excited. Our big idea, the thing I really want us to focus on today, though, in this part of the story, is that you are empowered. You have a power inside of you. And I'm about to throw it back all the way to a guy named Billy Graham. Um, and some of you are like, Billy Graham, that's my guy. And some of you are like, who's Billy Graham? Yes, there, are, there is a whole generation of people that don't know who Billy Graham is. So Billy Graham is an awesome evangelist um, and probably one of the best ones that we've ever seen. And um, he, he makes the same point that you have a power inside of you. And that is something that we're going to look at today. And I want to preface his quote um, with a passage out of Ezekiel. And it's Ezekiel 36, 26. And um, God is speaking through the prophet and he's telling his people, hey, this is what's going to happen. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes carefully and observe my ordinances. So basically what he's saying is, hey, you are people who have hard hearts, and you're alienated from God, and you don't want anything to do with God. And so because of that, you don't listen to anything God has to say. But God being good and God being gracious tells them, hey, don't worry, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh is going to be the thing that helps you obey me, is going to be the thing that helps you walk with me. And in, this, in the end of that passage, he also tells them that spirit 
that I'm going to give you is going to be the same thing that helps you walk with me and obey me. And so um, it's really cool because we get that same thing today. And that's Billy Graham's whole point in this quote I'm about to read. He, he kind of talks about this and he says, um, hey, there's not a Christian on the planet that doesn't have the same power that we're going to talk about today, that doesn't have access to that same power. And he goes on, he writes, he says, the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us live the Christian life. There is not a person anywhere who can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. There is not a person who can follow Christ without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so last week we talked about obedience some, right? And this week we're going to talk about obedience more. And last week what we're talking about is being bold. And we looked at the story in Acts, and we looked at Acts chapter 4, and we looked at how bold these Christians were, these first century Christians. This whole Christianity thing is new. Nobody really knows what's going on. All they know is their buddy Jesus, who did all these miracles, just got crucified. And so they have this boldness about them. Because when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be the thing that compels you. And Jesus, we talked about last week, Jesus said, hey, it's more important that you have the Spirit. It's more beneficial for you to have the Spirit than it is to have me around. And for them, I'm sure that was like a mind-boggling concept. But this week, we're about to see just what Jesus meant by that. Why is it more important to have the Spirit um, than it is to have the guy who is doing the miracles himself? Um, and so it's really cool. And I think the, the song we sang for the first time today was pretty timely too, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. Um, that is the God that we're going to talk about today. And so I'm excited to unpack it. I'm excited to get into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Um, but our big idea this morning is going to be that the church moves forward in power. So the whole point of this series is moving forward. The church moving forward. How does the church move forward? What does it mean that the church is moving forward? What are the elements to the church moving forward? Last week we talked about boldness. This week we're going to talk about the power that gives us that boldness. The power that gives us the ability to be bold, to move forward as a church into 2020. And so I'm excited to unpack it. I'm excited to kind of look at these apostles and some of the stuff that they dealt with and be encouraged, and I hope you're encouraged, um, that the same Holy Spirit that was with them as Christians is the same Holy Spirit that's with you today. So Acts chapter 5, verse 12, we will dive right in. And there's a lot of text today, so um, we'll break it down into chunks, and I'll give you my best version of the Stevens paraphrase um, if somebody gets confusing. So here we go, verse 12. Many signs uh, and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. Actually, this is coming right out of... Um, Verses, if you want to go back and read verses 1 through 11 later on your own, uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's pretty wild. Um, this is coming right out of a couple people who lied uh, in front of the Holy Spirit or about the Holy Spirit, and they were immediately dropped dead. And so this is Luke segueing like, hey, yeah, that happened. And then also many more signs were being done about the Holy Spirit. And so he says, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade, uh, just kind of right outside the temple, temple porch, if you will. Um, no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
So that's a lot. There's a lot going on right off the bat. Right after uh, we segue out of these two people who lied in front of the Holy Spirit and then dropped dead, we're segueing right into a lot more stuff happening here in the book of Acts. Um, and so Peter and the apostles, remember, no Jesus around anymore. Jesus has gone back up to heaven. And Peter and the apostles are doing the work that he's laid before them because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and the apostles are going throughout and healing people and doing these signs and wonders and affirming who this Jesus guy was. If you remember last week um, when they were on trial, they asked him, hey, whose name are you guys doing all this stuff in? And they boldly said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus guy that you crucified, that's the name that we're doing all these signs and wonders with. So Peter and the apostles are not taking any credit for all this stuff that's happening, none of the miracles. Instead, they're saying, hey, this Jesus guy is the reason we're able to do this stuff. And so it's funny because you see, um, they go and they're doing all these signs and wonders and they're all together doing these miraculous things. But then in the next line in verse 13, it says, but no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. So it's interesting because they're doing all these things and everyone's like, yo, that's really cool. But maybe you should just keep your distance because I don't, I don't really know what all is going on yet. Um, and so people are like, wow, that's amazing, but keep your distance. But it's still amazing, so I'm still going to speak well about it because of everything that's happening and how incredible it is. Um, and so people were being added to the, Lord's, uh, to the Lord, increasing in numbers every single day. And so people, because of the credit that Peter and the apostles were giving, were starting to be like, wow, there is something to this Jesus guy. This is incredible um, because of who he is and what he says and what he does. And so um, it got so crazy. This is the crazy part to me. It got so, like, intense that people from... This town, surrounding towns, were coming just to be around the apostles because they heard about this. And it gets to the point where some of these people are bringing lame people and bringing sick people and laying them in mats and cots on the streets that they know Peter will walk by just so that maybe his shadow, they just maybe I can get his shadow. Over. Maybe his shadow is enough to heal me. Maybe his shadow is enough to make me better. And, and you see people get healed because of stuff like that. And so we're going to talk about, you know, the magnitude of this in a minute, but keep in mind, this is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. And it's going to have a different connotation, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but the same Spirit that is healing people with not Jesus' shadow is the same Spirit that we have living in us today. And so uh, because of what Peter and the apostles were doing, um, more people started to come, and people who were sick, people who were, um, needed healing, and people who had unclean spirits in them, all these people are getting um, well because of um, what God has sent and, and what the Spirit has empowered Peter and the apostles to do. So, pretty intense so far. Keep reading verse 17. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So, if you remember, um, just last week, they were already on trial for doing these very same things, and they said, hey, you guys need to stop that. Quit doing that. You're making us look bad. You're causing chaos. Um, you keep saying, we're the guy that crucified this Jesus. You need to just quit. Um, and it was like a hard suggestion kind of telling them last week, um, hey, don't do that anymore. And we're about to see uh, their reaction to them completely ignoring them and continuing to preach and do these signs and wonders and saying, hey, this is Jesus that's doing it. So uh, the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. I can't remember last week. Did uh, Pastor Eddie tell you guys the distinguishing factor between Pharisees and Sadducees? Did he tell you the joke? He did? Okay. All right. I'll tell it again, um, regardless of how corny it may or may not be to you. Um, so the, 
Sanhedrin was like the council of religious elites, and it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. So whether they believed it was Jesus or not who was going to get resurrected, they knew at some point somebody is going to be resurrected, and that is going to be our Messiah. Um, and so uh, if you talk to a lot of Jewish people today, they still think, hey, that guy has not come. Um, we're still waiting on our Messiah to be resurrected, to come back, to deliver us. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were religious elites who did not believe in a resurrection of any kind. And so the way you can distinguish them, here it comes. Um, the Pharisees were sad, you see, because there was no resurrection, no eternal hope. I know, okay, great. All right, so hopefully, at the very least, that helps you acknowledge or be able to distinguish between the Pharisees and the Sadducees going forward. Um, but that's who is filled with jealousy. And you can kind of start to picture why, right? Like, hey, the people that don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe Jesus is, was raised from the dead, they don't believe anybody else is going to be raised from the dead, those are the people who are having to sit here and continue to watch people get healed <laughs> because of that name, right? And so you can start to see the jealousy creeping up in them and maybe even the doubt creeping up in them. Like, you ever been like in a place where you're so upset but you don't know what to do about it and so you just get angry and then you just get the flood of emotions like crying or just more anger? I imagine that's kind of starting to be the point they're getting to. Like, I'm really upset because this is breaking down my whole framework but I don't know what to do about it because even though I'm upset, everything keeps still happening. Like, everything is still happening. It's still legit. And so I imagine they're getting upset, and jealousy is probably one of many emotions they're feeling. Um, but because they're jealous, they arrest the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people about this life, hearing this. They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So, hey, you guys didn't listen. You're going back to jail, right? So they go back to jail. Uh, an angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, you guys are in jail again. That's cool. We're going to get you out. And so they take them out, and they say, you're not in jail anymore. And, but the condition is, you guys, when you get out, your job is to go and to continue to preach in the name of Jesus. Your job is to continue um, to do the work that the Lord has set before you, being empowered by the Spirit. So, hey, keep Keep locking into that. Keep being encouraged by the Spirit. Keep being obedient because of the Spirit and keep teaching people. And um, the disciples, what I love about this is they do not hesitate. They know, hey, sunrise tomorrow morning, people are going to be at the temple and we're going to be there and we're going to be ready to have more conversations. And so they go and immediately, as soon as daybreak hits, as soon as their next opportunity hits, they are back out there teaching people. Um, so people in the temple know what's going on. The temple courts know what's going on because they're having conversations um, with Peter and the apostles. However, <clears throat> the people that put them in jail do not know. Um, when the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. So, as you can see up to this point, the people who put them in jail are still fully under the impression they're in jail. So, hey, go get those guys. We're ready to have the trial. But when the servants got there, they did, not find in the, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and reported. <laughs> I can't imagine being a servant whose job is to go tell them, um, hey, <laughs> the guys you put in jail again, they're not there anymore. Um, they tell them, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priest heard these things, they were baff baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. And so, Okay, so they go in, and, and this is no small thing, because when you look at the resurrection, one of, our, one of our big confirming points to the resurrection is the fact that a Roman guard, right, knew that standing outside and not doing his job would cost him his life. And so when they went there the next day, um, the Roman guards were there, and so 
for the conspiracy theorists of the time. Like, oh, maybe the Romans released him, Jesus, and, and all this stuff. No, no, the Romans knew that if they were to have done something like that, it would mean their heads on the chopping block and they get executed. And so I don't know uh, if, I don't know that there was any good incentive for these guards to be in the same boat. So legitimately, everyone is ignorant to the fact that nobody is in the jail when the guy says, hey guys, how you doing today? Open up the door, I'm gonna go get the guy and take him out. They open the door and they don't take him out because he's not there and it's completely empty. And so it says they're baffled. And I would probably be baffled too. The thing that's fascinating to me about this though is not that they were baffled, um, but the next line that says they were wondering what would come of this. Not what has come of this, not how the heck did this happen, not what's going on, but what is about to happen. What is the byproduct of this turmoil in our community about to be? And so you can see because they didn't say, holy cow, how did that happen? They probably already have a pretty good understanding of how it happened and they're probably already coming to terms with the fact that these people are being empowered by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, right? And so they're connecting the dots all along. And at this point, um, if you've ever been in a situation where it's time to do damage control, you probably know where they're at. Like, at this point, I can't do anything to stop this, so I'm going to go try to get a couple steps ahead of this and do some damage control. That's the world they're living in right now. What kind of damage control can we do? What is about to come of the fact that we put them in jail twice and they're no longer in jail? So <clears throat> someone came and reported as they're having this conversation, look, the guys that you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching people. And so now on top of being upset, trying to do damage control, being jealous, you probably feel like you just got slapped in the face if you're part of the Sanhedrin uh, because they didn't flee. They just went back to doing the same thing that you told them not to do. So they're not like running away with their freedom. They're taking their freedom and they're saying, hey, we got a job to do. We got to go right back into it. So the Sanhedrin is probably feeling in the midst of all these other emotions, somewhat slapped in the face, and jealousy is probably turning into anger at this point. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. So the commander uh, goes and says, hey guys, uh, you want to just come with us? Like more or less like, hey, we're not going to, we can't force you because we're fearful of our own lives. And, and so now you get a temperature of what the temple, what's happening in the temple. People are starting to believe the teachings of this Jesus guy. If the, if the guards are starting to fear for their life, it means there's probably more people on team Peter, apostles, and Jesus than there are on uh, team Sanhedrin and guards, right? And so they're like, hey, you know, come on. And I guess hopefully knowing that they would just be willing to come and ask what they asked, or do what they asked of them, um, they said, hey, let's go. And they went. And so um, they start to go, and uh, after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin again. Um, hopefully at this point you've got a picture of the emotional, like, just emotional train wreck that is the Sanhedrin sitting in front of Peter and the apostles. Um, and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Okay. Hey guys, it's good to see you again. We had this conversation already. We asked you not to do this. Why the heck do you keep going and doing the very thing that we're asking you not to do? Um, all you're doing is creating more chaos. And by the way, stop saying that we crucified this guy. When you look throughout the beginning of Acts um, and you look throughout the, some of the Gospels, you see um, the guilt of Jesus' death is placed on um, the religious people, right? The, the Jewish people condemn him in the trial, and so they say over and over again, hey, you guys crucified Jesus. You guys are the ones that did this to Jesus. And so it's almost like, hey, stop getting 
upset, but we're going to kind of, I kind of jumped ahead there. We're going to get to that. Um, but he says, look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you kind of see that picture because now there's, remember, there's more people on team Jesus and apostles than there are on team guards. And so, hey, you're causing turmoil. You're saying that we're guilty. So not only are you gaining more followers, but you're making us look bad in the process. And this is the part, this, is, this, this part right here is really the whole reason we're preaching this message this week. And so if you don't listen to anything else this morning, I want you to lock in right here because this is the part um, that applies to us. This is the part that matters to us. This is the part that should encourage us. This is the part that should convict us. This is the part that should spur us forward um, into the rest of the conversation. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted, to his, God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter and the apostles get there, and they say, hey, look, guys, I understand you've asked us to stop, and I understand you're telling us there's going to be repercussions if we don't stop, but what I'm telling you is what you don't understand, and what you don't understand is that if I'm given the choice between listening to you and the consequences that come with a trial and flogging and all that, or listening to a holy God who just healed people with my shadow, I'm probably going to go with the holy God who just healed people with my shadow. And he tells him, hey, my allegiance doesn't lie with you. My allegiance doesn't lie with, with you, with what culture thinks about me, with what my friends think about me, with what people who I want the approval of think about me. My allegiance lies with the God who is at work in all of this. And so that's the person that I want to obey. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus up whom you had murdered, hanging him on a tree. So there's that jab back. Hey, you guys did this. God exalted this man um, to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God sent Jesus so that you guys could be forgiven of your sins, so that I could be forgiven of my sins, is what Peter is saying to them. And we are witnesses of these things. We've seen the resurrection. We've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. We've, you guys have seen that power of the Holy Spirit, right? He's like, I don't get it. And God has given that same spirit to those who obey him. And this is the tension that we wrestle with, right? The tension that we wrestle with is our takeaway today, and it's the, <clears throat> the fact that the spirit empowers us to obey, right? Just like... Uh, Billy Graham said, just like the passage in Ezekiel says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is the thing that's empowering us to obey. And so, hey, I, I get that, AJ, but uh, Billy Graham just said, if I'm a Christian, then I have the Spirit, but I'm really struggling with obedience right now, so tell me how that works. Well, yeah, you're right. Christians do have the Holy Spirit, and we are empowered to obey, but we do wrestle with that tension of, I know what's right, but why do I do what's wrong? I know it's right, but I'm still stuck in this rut. I know it's right, but I can't help myself, right? And that's a real tension that we deal with, and that's a tension um, that probably isn't going to go away until the day that we die, right? And Paul, you see Paul, the author of over half the New Testament, he writes in, in Romans 7, he says, hey, I struggle with this too. I struggle with the fact that I know it's right, and I can't help but do what's wrong. And so it's a tension that, that we're all wrestling with in some way, shape, or form um, because, yes, we have the Spirit, but we still struggle. And so in, in the conversations that I have with my friends and in, in what I've seen in my own life is really life kind of functions in cycles. And the good cycle is obedience, spirit-filled. Obedience, spirit-filled. Obedience, spirit-filled, right? So I obey God. The Spirit is empowering me to obey God. 
and I want to do what God wants me to do. And so I'm in this good cycle of doing good things because I'm empowered to obey, right? The other side of that cycle, or the other cycle altogether, is sin suppressing the spirit. Sin suppressing the spirit. Sin suppressing the spirit. So now, AJ, how do I get out of this cycle? Because when I sin, I'm not obeying God. And when I'm not obeying God, I'm not exercising what the Holy Spirit wants me to be exercising. Um, and then that even becomes a question. Can, can I can I do something to hinder the Spirit? And I think that's a question we're talking about because when you look in First Thessalonians five nineteen, the answer is yes. They're being instructed not to quench the Spirit. And so it's not that you don't have the Spirit when you're in this cruddy cycle and you can't seem to, to break the curse of sin and you can't seem to do what's right. It's not that you don't have the Spirit. He hasn't gone anywhere. Um, it's that you're not making an opportunity for him to spur you forward. Right? Think about a water hose. Um, if I were to take a water hose and I were to bring a water hose up on stage, I would turn the faucet on, turn the, turn the hose on, and water would be gushing out of the hose, right? Assuming our water's on, right? Um, there's your reminder to pay your electric bill if you haven't. Assuming the water's on and the water's gushing out of the hose, we would, we would say, yes, if I turn it on, water's coming out. If I kink that hose, water is no longer coming out of that hose, or it's coming out very slowly. That doesn't mean the hose isn't on. That just means it's kinked. And I think that's a good rough example of kind of how that works. I say good and rough at the same time. We talk to our students about analogies and how analogies are never really a good black and white representation of the point you're trying to make um, because on some level they fall apart. Like, for example, the Holy Spirit's not made of uh, whatever a hose is made of. But you get the point, right? If I kink that hose, it's going to stop the flow of water. And I don't want to stop the flow of water. And so the question then becomes, how do I unkink? How How do I unkink this cycle? How do I get out of this cycle? How do I unkink the issues that are going on in my life? And how do I get back to the place where obedience and the Spirit are working in tandem and I just continue to love God, right? Because that's what we want to do as Christians. We want to love God. We want to pursue God. In fact, that's the only two commandments um, Jesus gave us, right? Love God and love people. And, and if loving God looks a certain way, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, then I want to do that. I want to do whatever it is to love God because that's what he's called me to. And so how do I do that? How do I get out of this, this, this tension that I'm living in and get back into this good cycle? And I feel like on some level, that's the question we all wrestle with. And so um, here's how. Here's how we unkink the hose. Go ahead and um, slap that up there. Recognize that we need the Spirit. The first step is recognizing that we need the Spirit. And so this is cool because this is, um, and there's a slide right before this that I'm gonna ask him to slap back up. But this is cool because you can't get out of this cycle without the Spirit, right? You're not getting out of the cycle with your own willpower. You're not getting out of the cycle because you followed enough rules. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not about following rules, right? We're working from grace, not for grace. I'm being obedient because of what Jesus did, not to get Jesus' approval, right? And so if you go back to the other slide, Galatians 3, chapter 3, Paul is writing, the same guy right, uh, that we're going to talk about in a couple weeks and that wrote over half the New Testament. And he says, Are you foolish after beginning by the Spirit... Are you now finishing by the flesh? And so he's saying, hey, when you're stuck in this cycle, what, where's the disconnect? Like you didn't, you didn't get into a relationship with God because of how hard you worked at being a good person. You didn't get into a relationship with God because you followed enough rules. You got into a relationship with God because he did all the work, right? Jesus loved you and, and died for you. And so the spirit is the thing that got us there in the first place. The Spirit is the thing that gets us to the point of obedience in the first place. So then why are we trying to say, hey, I can do this on my own? Why are we trying to say, hey, 
I, I'm capable. I, I, can, I can do obedience myself without the work of the Spirit. It's kind of the point that he's making. And so that's why if you go back to the how, the first one is recognize that we need the Spirit and it's not something that we're going to do on our own. It's not something that we're going to wrestle with and beat on our own. We need to understand, hey, it's the Spirit of God that leads us to obedience. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to obedience, Right? So maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe it's step one. Step two, repent of relying on yourselves. Once you realize, like, hey, that's where I'm at, then the next, the next step is we have to repent. And when we repent, repent is not like, hey, I just slapped somebody in the face. I'm really sorry. I hope it gets better. No, repenting is like, hey, I slapped somebody in the face, and I've said sorry, and now I'm turning around so I don't ever slap them again, right? Repenting is literally turning away from our sin. It's not just an apology. It's the idea that I'm going moving from going in this direction to moving in this direction. It's the idea that I'm going to move from trying to do things on my own to doing things because the Spirit is leading me to do things and working with that. And so that's the second step. Recognize you need the Spirit, and then once you recognize that, repent because you've tried to do it on your own and let the Spirit help you. The third one is praying for boldness. Prayer is such a big part or should be such a big part of our lives as Christians because this is, this is where we get to talk to God. This is where we have the conversation. Uh, in fact, the same Holy Spirit that we have is constantly praying for you, right? We see that in, in Scripture. And so pray for boldness for you. Pray for boldness for your friends. Pray for boldness for people who don't know Jesus yet. Pray that the people who don't know Jesus yet would engage in that conversation, be bold enough to ask those hard questions, and be bold enough uh, to start talking about spiritual things. Pray for you. Pray that you would be bold enough that when your friend says, hey, I have questions, <clears throat> you would hit those head on and not run away from those because you're discouraged or upset or you think that, that this cycle over here is something I'm never getting out of, right? Pray for yourself. Pray that you have the boldness to obey the Spirit. Pray that you have the boldness to obey Jesus. Um, we talked about boldness last week, right? And it, and it, it looks a lot different um, in the disciples' context probably than it does in our context, right? They're, they're over there, and uh, this Christianity thing is new, and they're getting flogged. They're getting beaten. We're going to see next week, spoiler alert, someone's going to die because of Christianity. Uh, here in 2020 America, that's not our case, Right? Nobody is getting flogged for believing in Jesus. However, our boldness, I would say, is being obedient. Are you bold enough to be obedient? Are you bold enough to do what Jesus says instead of do what culture says? Are you bold enough to stick a flag in the dirt and say, hey, no, I'm not rolling with that. I am going to do my best to obey what Jesus wants from me. And so pray for that for yourself. Pray that you're countercultural. Pray that um, you have the, the ability to walk the line um, with friends who don't know Jesus and have hard conversations with them but not be sucked into the things that they're sucked into, right? And then pray for others. Pray for those friends. Pray for the friends that you know that are Christians that are struggling with the same thing, right? The reason the Spirit intercedes for you on a regular basis is because you need it, right? And so the reason we should pray for our friends on a regular basis is because they need it. And they need the boldness. They need the willpower to be obedient. They need uh, the spirit to work in their lives as well. And so pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for your friends that don't know Jesus or people that don't know Jesus. And then pray for your friends that do know Jesus and pray that they would be bold enough to do the same things. Pray that they would be bold enough to encourage. And then the next one is the whole point of this whole message, right? <clears throat> to move forward in obedience. One of the things that we talked about in the first week of this series um, was a quote and it said, the scary thing is not moving forward, the scary thing is standing still. The scariest thing to you should be the fact that I am stuck in this cycle and I'm so content with it and I don't care and I, and I don't want to move forward and I don't want to get out of my rut. That should be frightening 
what should be encouraging is that you have the opportunity to move forward in obedience. You have the opportunity to continue to kindle that relationship that you have with Jesus. You have the opportunity to continue to let the Spirit lead you into the things that you're supposed to be doing as a Christian, that I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian. So move forward in obedience because you're encouraged. Move forward in obedience because it's what Jesus has called you to. Um, and, and really and truly move forward in obedience for the church because that's the only reason we're here today. If the disciples don't do this and they don't move forward in obedience and they don't stand uncomfortably before the Sanhedrin and look at them and say, hey, I really don't, don't care what you have to say because it's not about your rule versus God rule. It's God's rule reigns supreme, right? So if they don't do that, then we don't get to sit in 2020 America and have church gatherings like this. And so if we don't do that, there's always the potential, there's always the risk that 2050, right, looks different and, and, and 2090 looks different. So as the church, we have an obligation to move forward in obedience for, yes, our sake and our spiritual lives, but also the sake of the church and, and the sake of our friends and the, and the people that are engaged in the church. And so be encouraged by that. Be encouraged that, yes, it seems like an awkward tension that's really tough to break, but if you can start to engage in these things and you can start to be honest with um, friends and family and read scripture, and we talk about all these, uh, we call them Sunday school answers, right? Like, hey, how do I grow in my relationship with Jesus? Well, are you reading your Bible? Uh, are you praying? Uh, are you in an accountability group? Uh, there are Sunday school answers maybe, right? But they're important things that are spiritual principles that should be in our lives. And if we're not careful and we don't do those things, then we run the risk of getting stuck right here, right? <clears throat> and so um, accountability is one that I cannot stress enough. If you're, the Christian is not designed to live alone. Right? The Christian is designed to do community. It, it gets really miserable for the Christian when they get stuck in that cycle and because they're living isolated, somebody else ends up living isolated and they get stuck in the same cycle. And now you have a bunch of miserable individuals who don't know how to break this thing because nobody's praying for them, nobody's engaged with them, nobody's loving them, and we all get stuck. And so live in, a, live in community, live in accountability, share these struggles with other people so that they can pray for you and so that we can move forward um, as the local church together. I'm really excited because we have opportunities to do this Every day. Every day we have an opportunity um, to exercise any of those things. And I don't know if you are someone that needs to start at step one or if you are someone that just like, hey, I am, I'm rocking to step three right now and I am so close to step four. Um, but regardless, there's, there are action steps for us. And that's why I love um, any time that we do the series and we get something uh, application related. Because I feel like so often we're told the right and the wrong answer and then we're like, all right, that's good. Now what do I do, right? And so action steps are good. So I hope that that's encouraging for you. I hope that you can take those, and I hope that you can apply those immediately. Um, but I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come up here in a minute, <clears throat> and they're going to close us out. Um, but I want you to be encouraged. I want you guys to know that Jesus has given you that same spirit that he's given the apostles. And while it may not look like the God of miracle working uh, in this season, right, and, and you may not be healing people with your shadows, you at the very least have the same spirit encouraging you and empowering you to be obedient. So um, be encouraged by that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you that um, you graciously gave us uh, the spirit. I know it's, it's probably awkward and uncomfortable for the disciples to hear that there's someone greater than you coming, but we're so grateful that that happened because that is the reason each of us as individuals don't need you in the flesh, but we can, we can pursue you and we can move forward in obedience um, because of the Spirit. So we're so grateful for that. Uh, we're so grateful for who you are and what you do for us on a regular basis. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.